Sure, sure, sure. Go ahead, shoot. Well, well, for instance, uh, what are your qualifications? Ah, well, I attended Juilliard. I'm a graduate of the Harvard Business School. I travel quite extensively. I lived through the Black Plague, and I had a pretty good time during that. I've seen The Exorcist about 167 times, and it keeps getting funnier every single time I see it. Not to mention the fact that you're talking to a dead guy. Now, what do you think? You think I'm qualified? What I mean is, can you be scary? Oh, oh, I know you're asking me. Can I be scary? What do you think of this? <laughs> you like it? Hello, Popheads, and welcome to issue 119 of the TomCast Popcast, coming to you once again from the safe, COVID-protected confines of the Tom Cave. My name is Tom. Thank you so much for listening to this quality independent podcast. Please follow us on the social medias. We're at TomCast Popcast on Twitter and Instagram. You can email the show TomCastPopcast at gmail.com. And finally, you can join Pophead Nation at patreon.com forward slash TomCastPopcast, where if you select the super tier you can get all kinds of super cool bonus content audio commentary tracks to movies video feature as the podcast read segments all kinds of fun stuff a little extra bang for your buck in my way of saying thank you for helping support this podcast and helping keep the lights on here thank you to my current patreons thank you to the aspen hill chody the batman of bay park jeff nail co-host of the ringing ear thanks to evil circle the evilest of all the circles Squidmaster general mr brian broussard and the new jersey devil mark wegemer Speaking of Mark Wegemer, he's going to be joining us in just a minute for this special podcast, which in case if you haven't figured out our topic of the day, well, you'll just have to wait a little bit longer. Oh my. Finally, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, whatever podcasting format it is you like. If we're not there, let me know. I will make sure to correct that so that we are there in the future. Make sure, again, like, subscribe, share the show with all your friends, help us grow our our amazing audience of listeners it would mean the world to me and uh hey we're having fun here on the tomcast podcast and that's the bottom line that's the most important thing we're doing and it's halloween time it's going to be a very different halloween this year in 2020 you know i I wouldn't imagine there's gonna be a lot of trick-or-treating going on a lot of uh parties and festivities of that nature at least uh not amongst the the people who want to be responsible in society so, so Halloween's going to be a little bit different, you know? It's going to be a lot of staying at home and, and making, making the most of the season of, the, of the, this time of year uh, at our homes. Hopefully getting in costume still, you know? Hopefully having some bowls of candy, but probably watching a lot of movies. Now, granted, you know, I think a lot of people want the, 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 the horror element of, of Halloween, the scary movies. And there's, there's, hey, there's a place for that. We love the scary movies on the TomCast podcast. But there's also the fun kind of Halloween-centric movies. And that's what we're talking about today. We're talking about Tim Burton, Tim Burton's Beetlejuice. This is a movie uh, near and dear to my heart. Uh, again, much like the other movies that we featured prominently on this podcast, a, a, a key film in my childhood. 
And that's one reason why uh, my brother Mark is coming on to join us for the podcast is because uh, since we grew up together, this movie is also intrinsically linked with him as well. And uh, he, uh, as, as a bit of a, a, a more film aficionado, a uh, studier of the arts, I think he'll bring a unique perspective to, to this uh, Beetlejuice-centric episode of the, of the podcast. I'm really excited to talk about this movie. It's... It's one of those movies, uh, I think it holds up insanely well to this day. It uh, Maybe it's a little dated in the fa- in the visual effects department, uh, but it's still super, super watchable. It's a lot of fun. Uh, one of our favorite actors of all time, Michael Keaton, completely kills it as Beetlejuice, as the title character. But you also have great performances from Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis, uh, uh, Winona Ryder, uh, 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 Catherine O'Hara, for God's sake. She's phenomenal in this movie. Um so much good stuff, and and this movie in a, in a lot of ways also represented a lot of firsts for for my brother and I as as film watchers as as uh, we were introduced to just a ton of of talent and 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 new people and new ideas and a, and a fun way of exploring the afterlife and what it means to be dead and ghosts and Halloween and you know again it's not centered around Halloween but you know when you talk about the undead when you have um, the book, the handbook of the recently deceased, you know, th- it lends itself to this time of year. So that's why we're talking about Beetlejuice to kick off the Halloween season here on the TomCast podcast. So I'm going to switch things over. I'm going to link up with Mark in just a minute. Manat. I said I said that really oddly, but we're going to link up in just a minute. So uh, with that being said, get ready for Halloween. Get ready as we kick off this fun time of year. Again, I know it's it's going to be different this year. It's 2020. But hey, let's have some fun and let's kick it off with Michael Keaton kicking some serious booty as Beetlejuice. All right, so sit down, buckle up, hold on to your butts, and then buckle up again. All right, here we go. Beetlejuice. 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 It's showtime. All right, joining me once again via the Skype, my dear sweet brother, Mark Wegemer, the New Jersey devil himself, all the way up into Los Angeleses. How are you, sir? Good. How are you? <laughs> uh, doing all right. You know, it's it's uh, uh, it's always interesting when, when you and I record a podcast. Uh, uh, in, you know, a lovely Saturday afternoon seems like a good day to podcast and talk about Beetlejuice, right? Right. I do have a bit of business to to uh, share with our listening audience, uh, as they may have listened in the opening of this episode. I, I introduce it as episode one nineteen, but in actuality, this is episode one twenty because well, we had some technical problems the first time we tried to do this. Uh, they've all been resolved now, luckily. But uh, so we're we're I started the show week <laughs> last week. <laughs> now it's this week, so it's episode one twenty. Boom. But just so you know, like, there's a reason why I say 119 at the beginning of the episode, but it's actually 120. It's a good round number. Right on, buddy. Hey, I couldn't give you an odd number. You get the even numbers. I mean, technically, I was on episode one. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> <laughs> All right, buddy. Let's see. Before we get into, into Beetlejuice, before we start talking about the the, the, the main man himself, I guess that's Lobo, really, but the other main man is Beetlejuice. And thank you for coming on this podcast. We didn't have to say we did not have to say your name three times, which was helpful. Yes. But we always start the show with the beer. What are you drinking today, Monfrere? Uh, I am having Smog City's Smogtoberfest. 
Ooh, nice. I approve. Yeah. Uh, Very good. And I am I, I, I am drinking. I mean, it's funny. I was drinking Oktoberfest beers pretty much all week long, but today I switched to uh, an IPA. I'm having from San Diego Brew from San Diego Society Brewing Company's The Pupil. It's a wonderful West Coast IPA. Clocks in at what seven percent? I think seven point five. A little extra juice for this Beetlejuice podcast. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right. So listen, uh, Beetlejuice came out. You know, um, you're you aware? You are aware. I'm sure many of our listeners are aware. Beetlejuice came out in 1998. Um, I'm sorry, 1988. Excuse me. Uh, do right. you do you realize what a big year 1988 was for movies? No. <laughs> so I mean, I I. I Go ahead, go ahead. What was that? Go ahead. Sorry, sorry. I'm, I guess I was having some kind of feedback issue over here. But um, no, like I'm familiar with like the summer of 89, but I don't particularly remember anything special about 1988. All right, so listen, I'm gonna, I, here, we don't normally do this sort of thing on, on the TomCast podcast, but I'm going to read for you the, the, the top domestic box office movies for 1988. Are you ready? Okay. Number one, Who Framed Roger Rabbit? Okay. Number two, Coming to America. Number three, Good Morning Vietnam. Mm. Number four, Big. Number five, this might be the most shocking of all, Crocodile Dundee 2. Nice. Number six, Three Men and a Baby. Number seven, a movie that has been featured on the TomCast podcast twice. That would be Die Hard. <laughs> Number eight, a movie that will be featured on Mark's podcast, Moonstruck. Number nine. Great. Yeah. <laughs> Number nine is Cocktail, because Tom Cruise had to show up sooner or later. Ooh. <laughs> and number 10 <laughs> is Beetlejuice. All right. Which in the domestic box office made $73 million Seven hundred seven thousand dollars and four hundred sixty-one hundred. I think I said that wrong, but you know what I mean. Seventy-three million bucks, basically. But wow. round up, we're round up to seventy-four in the domestic box office, which is not too shabby. Probably cost somewhere around what fifteen. I believe it did. I had that number in front of me, and then I changed the screen. So give me one second while I pull that back up again. But yeah, I mean, the number ten movie in nineteen ninety-eight was Beetlejuice. I mean, so this is a movie that got a lot of. Uh, attention on it, and it, cause, because because it, it's probably the most different movie on that entire list, right? Yeah, certainly. Let me see. I'm still looking for that budgetary information here. What, uh, Mark? What are your first? Uh, I don't know. Your first memories of seeing Beetlejuice? Um, you know, I remember watching it with you. I, I think we had rented it or maybe was. maybe it just came to us through because i think by that time we were what our family was subscribed to like the columbia house movie of the month club or whatever it was called and i believe you just correct maybe it was just sent to us yeah and um so i mean yeah it was just watching it with you and i i think like you it definitely had a big Big impact on me at the time. Uh, the the budget for the movie you were right is fifteen million bucks. Nice. 
So yeah, so it, it yeah, it made a, quite a bit of profit. Yeah, uh, yeah, you know, like like you said, I I I want to say we rented it, but uh, you know, again, it could have been from from Columbia House. Who knows? Um, yeah, I, I I think you know, it's not like at that point we were uh, big cineophiles. You know, like 1988, I think was like maybe the year we first got a VCR in the house. It was around then, yeah. Yeah, so like you know, you and I hadn't worked our way through the entire uh, video store just yet. Uh, so, so we, right. we were still new to everything, but uh, Beetlejuice was was just insanely unique from the beginning. A a very eye catching movie with a lot of of aesthetics that were you know just different than things we had seen before, and and obviously that's the kind of flair that Tim Burton brought to this production. Right. And I you know I don't I, I you know Tim had obviously come from from doing uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. But I think this was kind of like the first time we, the world was was exposed to, kind of the the crazy zany creativity of Tim Burton. Yeah, you got you got glimpses of it in uh, in Pee Wee's. Uh, is it big? Adv- yeah, it was Big Adventure. Yeah, and Pee Wee's. You got glimpses glimpses of it in Pee Wee's Big Adventure, um, especially the the bit with like the the trucker when he's when he's hitchhiking. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. You know, you get a glimpse of it there. Um, but yeah, this was kind of like the first movie that was sort of full on Tim Burton. Mm-hmm. And again, like like I, like I said before, I mean, this movie was, was so new to us. And I, I think it was our first exposure to a lot of the actors ever in the movie, too. I, I think it was the first time we saw Winona Ryder, Catherine, Catherine O'Hare, Alec Baldwin, Gina Davis. I, I'm pretty sure we, we were familiar with Michael Keaton because I think we'd seen like Gung Ho. <laughs> you know, like on TV a million yeah. years ago. And Mr. Mom, I think, was a big deal by then. So we knew Michael Keaton, at least, but everybody else in this movie was basically new to us. Yeah. Um, and what do we think of, of the performances in this picture? I love them. I think everyone in this movie is fantastic. Yeah, you know, everyone seems to hold, uh, hold the movie, who was in the movie, seems to hold the movie in, in high regard, with with the notable exception of, of Alec Baldwin, who apparently was not happy with his own performance. But Alec Baldwin's also kind of grumpy, so. But that that was his, it, like, he just wasn't happy with his own performance, not necessarily, like, with the production, or, like, does he feel like Tim Burton chose the worst takes or something or <laughs> I I the 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 information I had read was something that he just was not happy with his personal performance in there. I don't think he was being critical of of Tim Burton or of anybody else in the picture. Okay. I mean you know, I guess that's it's his craft and if he feels like he could have done better, that's I mean good for him for admitting that, I suppose. <laughs> but I just want to say to Alec Baldwin, if he's listening, no, man, you're great. Don't even worry about it. Right. Come on, Alec. Stop being so hard on yourself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I know you're stuck playing Trump, but you, you have other qualities, sir. Yeah. <laughs> um, I, I think one of the performances that, that I've really grown to appreciate the older I get and the more I appreciate this person's work, you know, and I'm not going to say Michael Keaton because, like, listen, we all love Michael Keaton, so I don't need to, you know, say that. It's It's known. Michael Keaton's awesome in yeah. this movie, but whenever I watch the movie now, I'm I'm just always delighted by by Catherine O'Hare in this movie. She is so fucking hilarious, makes me laugh every time I watch it. And I, again, like I think back, and it's this is the first time I'm seeing this woman 
And I had no idea that she was this funny in real life. Or, you know, in other roles. I didn't know she was such a comedic talent. Yeah, I mean, she's great. And, I, you know, we were always good as kids is kind of spotting like, oh, that's the actress from this other movie that we've seen. But I think it, it took a while for me to kind of realize that, oh, that's the mom from Home Alone. Or the mom from Home Alone is, is Delia. Is Delia I, from, yeah. yeah, exactly. I know. I know what you mean. And obviously, like, the majority of America thinks of her as, as Kevin McAllister's mom from, from Home Alone. Um, right. But it's, so, so I think it's, it's, it's easy to overlook the fact that she is so funny. And if, if anyone's watched the, the Christopher Guest movies, you know, like Best in Show and, and Mighty Wind and all those things, I mean, the, the woman's a genius. And, and you, you really start to see that in this movie. Yeah. You know, when, like, when she's screaming about her art and how it's dangerous and stuff like that. <laughs> she has so many lines that crack me up. I just thought she was like a yeah. loon when I was a kid. I was like, oh, this is just like a crazy eccentric woman. But when you watch it now, yeah. you're like, oh, this is just straight funny stuff. This is really, really good. Yeah. So, in particular, when she's screaming about the art, I think is really helped out by just the, the straight face of the uh, the mover who's bringing in the artwork and just kind of throws it <laughs> onto just the table. tosses it under the table. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's it's one of those performances that for me is just uh, just I've I've appreciated so much more as I've gotten older and you know I I kind of see the movie from a, a slightly different perspective, you know, I yeah. I think a little bit as kids we were just kind of waiting for you know like, oh let's go back into the afterlife and see more dead people or like let's get to Beetlejuice and that kind of thing. Yeah. But now now yeah, you can watch sure. it and, and kind of soak in all those those, those great performances and I, I don't mean to be selling anybody else in the picture short. I mean Winona Ryder and 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 uh, even. Uh, Jeffrey Jones, who we won't talk about too much on this podcast today because of his notoriousness. Okay, I was, see, it's funny. I was going to ask you if you if you even knew about that because um, I don't know I don't know what it was, but it was like a few years ago that I, I it just kind of I was like, whatever happened to Jeffrey Jones? And I looked it up and I saw the the stories and I was like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, unfortunately that happened. Um, yeah, because I I think I think he's I think he's great in this as well. Yeah, it's gonna make it for a really awkward time when we do the Ferris Bueller podcast. So, <sighs> yeah, he's such a uh, integral part of that film. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You know, and as as the Tomcast podcast rolls through its collection of eighties films, you know, eventually you got to get to Ferris Bueller. So come on. Yeah, um, I also I just want to give a shout out to. Uh, Glenn Shaddix. Oh, Otho. Otho. Yes. <laughs> yeah, he passed away a few years he ago, was, didn't he? I I don't know. I it was it was more of just I, I never knew the guy's name, and I really only know him as Otho. But I I made a point to to look during the credits to see who had played him, um, because I you know I remember as a kid just thinking how quirky and eccentric that character was and it was funny. And now as an adult, yes, he's still all those things, but you see just how good he is at, at doing that. Yeah. And, and I, I, I thought there's like, yeah, there's a role that kind of people don't really talk about. Oh, a hundred percent. And you know, it's also funny too. another, another uh, movie that I, I, I want to get to eventually. I'd love to do it for Halloween, but maybe I'll push it into Christmas just because I'm running out of time to get all the all the Halloween movies I want to get done this year. 
Uh, but like so many people from this cast are actually in A Nightmare Before Christmas, which is one of my favorites as well. And and, and Glenn okay. Shaddix is is in that as well. He's the he's the mayor character, the one with the rotating head, the two faces. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, Otho Glenn Shaddix plays the mayor in, in A Nightmare Before Christmas, which, again, I love. So yeah, That makes total sense. And when you said A Nightmare Before Christmas, I was going to ask, oh, is he the mayor? Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but uh, no, he did, he did pass away in, two thousand, in 2010, actually. So, gosh, 10 years oh. ago. That's too bad. Yeah, he's only, he was only 58 when he passed away. Well. I don't know uh, under which circumstances... Uh, it was hopefully nothing bad. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and we'll just leave it at that because uh, I, I don't want to go down that that road in case it gets dark and scary. <laughs> sure, sure. But but let, uh, I want to get into the movie, but I, I kind of want to sort of talk a little bit more about just in general before we dive into the picture itself. Like, what is it that Michael Keaton brings to this movie? Like, I guess I want to know: Does this movie work the same way? if you remove Michael Keaton and you had somebody else as Beetlejuice? I mean, I certainly think that it could. Um, but, you know, Michael Keaton... Um, the movie, I think, showcases uh, his comedic abilities, but I think he also it also showcases what he can do as kind of a more dramatic actor as well because he, he brings a certain amount of... Um, sinisterness to the role and you just kind of he's able I think to go back and forth between those two things um, very adroitly yeah no I think you're I think you're you're accurate in that and I, I'm trying to think of the I can't remember exactly how the filmography played out if it was Beetlejuice Batman and then and then clean and sober or if clean and sober was before Batman, I can't remember exactly, but yeah, I mean, Michael Keaton, you know, obviously everyone knows Birdman and, and the movie since then, you know, where he played, you know, in The Founder, so everyone knows that Michael Keaton has dramatic chops, but I mean, he had them from the beginning. Yeah. You know, and, and you know, I, I I don't, I sort of don't think this movie works unless you have Michael Keaton in there, cause, because he just... I, he he just you know I don't, I don't want to say he steals the show necessarily because like I said I mean the cast is so good you know, between Catherine O'Hare and Winona Ryder and Alec and Gina they they all do such a great job with the parts they have but it, it, you know Michael Keaton just shows up and he just is kind of like this force of nature he's kind of like this hurricane <laughs> and, right. and you just kind of get like sucked into the vortex of like whatever performance he's giving and whatever he's saying it's it's just a a, a really a, a spellbinding performance and we'll, we'll say spellbinding for the sake of Halloween. Sure. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, I only, I only say, I think it, it could still work just simply because I don't want to necessarily, um, underestimate the acting chops of any, of any other actors, you know? I mean, how many times have we seen roles, especially these days where we think like, Oh, no one can play that role as well as I'm instantly. I think of, you know the Joker. Yeah. For years, we heard no one, no one can play that role as good as Jack Nicholson, and then Heath Ledger comes along and completely redefines it. So, you know, I I I I think that that Michael Keaton really defines the role, and I think he's perfect for it. But I also don't want to sell anyone else short and say this wouldn't have worked if 
if it wasn't for Michael Keaton. No, you're you're 100 right, and I should. There, there's definitely a little, I was going to put a little asterisk at the end of my statement because, uh, in case you aren't aware, or any, in the, I mean, this is at, at any any listener in the in the in the audience, uh, there is a Beetlejuice the musical, you know, that was on Broadway. So other people oh, have wow. played Beetlejuice. And I, okay. from what I understand, I mean, the, the, those shows got rave reviews and people really, really enjoyed it. And I'm assuming it's because whoever they got to be Beetlejuice was probably pretty good at it. So, <laughs> so like you said, yeah. you're probably right. But like I said, I just love Keaton's performance so much in this. I, it's hard for me to picture it any other way, but I would love to go see Beetlejuice right. the musical. That sounds amazing. If you're into musicals. <laughs> well, and as any adroit listener of the show knows, I am. So <laughs> I will go to that in a heartbeat. <laughs> All right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I went to Evil Dead the Musical. I'll go see Beetlejuice the Musical, too. It's fine. Yeah, I would check out Evil Dead just because it's Evil Dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let, let, let's kind of get into, into the movie a little bit here. Oh, you know, actually, before we do that, I should mention, uh, you know, one of those things that I think maybe people forget about with this movie. Uh, Michael Keaton, a.k.a. Beetlejuice, is in this movie for roughly 14 minutes. <laughs> this movie is an hour and a half long. So he's he's barely in it. I didn't know that it was. Yeah, I didn't know it was that short of amount of time. But yeah, definitely watching it, it again, it was like, oh, wow, like he's hardly in this. Yeah, I mean, we, we spend uh, the the bulk of our time with the Maitlands, with with, with Adam and Barbara Maitland, played by uh, Alec Baldwin and Gina Davis, respect, respectively. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Beetlejuice, like I said, he, right. he just kind of comes in like, uh, uh, like my, 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 uh, as Miley Cyrus would say, he comes in like a wrecking ball. <laughs> you didn't like that one at all, did she you? She would definitely say that. <laughs> that was great. Uh, yeah, it hurt. It's, it's uh, Michael More... Keaton plays is is only in fourteen point five minutes of the film. <laughs> wow. All right. <laughs> so pretty pretty wild uh, uh, piece of uh, tr- bar trivia for you for the next time you know a bar is open and you can go play trivia at it okay I don't play trivia at bars but well you should it's a lot of fun god damn it okay <laughs> alright so the movie opens up and we're, we're, we're transported to a small town in uh, rural Connecticut except it's actually filmed in Vermont but that's you know neither here nor there. Sure. We're we're get, you know we kind of get this grand sweeping view of the town, and then it it at, at some point it turns into a model mark, and we're taken into the house of the Maitlands, where we find out that uh, Adam Maitland is uh, uh, recreating the town as a as a model. What do you think of mm-hmm. that? <laughs> I, remember, I I loved it as a kid. You know, it's a great kind of a. Fake out because as a kid, you know, I don't think I noticed the the dissolve from the live action footage to the the footage of the model. Exactly, I agree. Um, yeah, and then you see you see like the the big tarantula crawling on the house, and and it's great. It's a good, it's a great little shock to get the viewers into it. Is it actually a tarantula? Hey, it's a big hairy spider. They're all tarantulas to me. <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. I like. <laughs> I think you're right about that. I mean, look, I I love spiders, but I can't identify the the species by eye. 
No, hey, there's nothing wrong with that. I, I totally get it. Don't worry. But yeah, this is our introduction yeah. to to Adam and Barbara, and they're they're spending the next two weeks working on their their giant home in in this rural Connecticut town, living the dream. You know, their Barbara wants to do wallpapering and bedrooms, and Alex, uh, Adam wants to keep working on his his uh, models and everything. Uh, we don't get into like a lot of like who the Maitlands were before they pass away. It seems like Adam may own the hardware store because it does have his name on it. Which I guess when you live in a small town, you has his name on it. He goes in when it's closed. <laughs> Sorry, he goes in when it when it's yeah. closed. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it, it seems like he he's the guy who runs the hardware store. And I, and I guess when you live in a small town and you decide to go on vacation, you can just close the hardware store for two weeks and hope everyone has uh, all the nails they need. It certainly looks that way. Maybe there's another hardware store. Uh, I don't know, man. <laughs> they definitely paint the picture that they're kind of out in the sticks. Well, it could also be that, um, you know, since it is a small town, it could also be that maybe everyone just has the number, has the Maitland's number, and if there's an emergency, they can contact them. That's, that's a very likely scenario. I kind of I like that, Mark. It's pretty good. That's pretty good, buddy. Uh, right. But it's but it's not long before the Maitlands have are are in a car accident that costs them their lives and uh, <laughs> it's a pretty funny death you know with the dog on the plank and, and the car teetering on the edge of the, of, of the bridge before it falls into the into the little creek there in the town right and the dog right. just jumps off the plank and then the car goes over and it's uh, that's a pretty funny death right <laughs> yeah I was I don't know. <laughs> It, you know, the car looks like it hits the water very softly, and I always just kind of thought, well, couldn't they get out the window because the windows were open? But I guess they were knocked unconscious. No, well, I mean, maybe if they're seatbelted in, maybe they couldn't unfasten fast enough. I mean, you know, who's to say? They might have been trapped sure. under there. They don't go into the gory details of, of their death. We don't have to see them struggle or anything, which is nice, I suppose. Though it, right. An interesting tidbit that I, that I read about the filming of the movie was, I, I guess that, that creek isn't very deep. So they had to like dam it at a certain point so they could kind of, you know, make it look like it'd be someplace where someone could actually drown. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, and by the way, just, some, just something to mention. Uh, apparently, there's going to be a uh, there's a documentary in the works about the filming of Beetlejuice in this small town in Vermont, uh, and and kind of like how it. Oh, that's cool. How the production, you know affected the town and maybe altered some people's lives and things like that. Cause I, I guess the town's re- fairly popular with tourists who kind of come through there to be like, Oh, this is the town where mm. the is from filmed. So just a little interesting tidbit. I'm, I'm sure. Cool. Yeah. I'm sure it'll be something we mentioned like once it's out and I can watch it and we'll, we'll talk a little bit about it on the show. at some point, but just something to keep an eye for. I know, I know they had a very successful Kickstarter, so it, it sounds like they're working on the documentary now. Oh, cool! Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that sounds like fun. All right, so the so the Maitlands get back to the house. They don't exactly remember how they got back to the house, but this is when they start to figure out that things aren't quite right with them. What did what did you think of yeah. uh, this whole this whole playing out of like figuring out that they're dead? I think it's great. I think I think it's a great fake out just because you see them come home and they're covered in water and and like the Maitlands, you don't necessarily think anything is wrong other than they. They had an accident and, and took a spill, but then, you know, the the fire lights in the fireplace um, mm-hmm. without any uh, human aid 
and then Gina Davis's fingers catch on fire, and, <laughs> right, right. and then they find the the handbook for the recently deceased, and and yeah, and you're like, okay, so they're dead, and you just so it's great fake out, and then you get to go on this kind of journey of discovery with them, or or as Adam calls it, the handbook of the recently diseased. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> get those glasses checked, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know, this is a weird side note, but uh, in, in a couple of my most recent viewings of the of this movie, I'm, I I sort of was working under the theory that like maybe Adam is just like really really blind because the way he uses his glasses, <laughs> it's I don't know. I was like, this man's eyesight is not good. Maybe I you know it's fine. I didn't. I didn't even think about that, but yeah, maybe. <laughs> I don't know. Just a, just a random thought. If anyone has any insights into into Adam's uh, vision scores, uh, please let me know. I would love to hear it. So the, the I think we should get Alec Baldwin on the line. Oh well, he's, if he wasn't playing Trump on Saturday nights, so he might be free. Um, right. <laughs> so it, it, this is it's it's sort of interesting. We also get our first exposure to being on Saturn with uh, the sandworms because Adam decides to leave the house to retrace their steps. Is that Saturn? Well, isn't that what uh, Beetlejuice says at one point in the movie? Like, you know, you've been to Saturn, I've been to Saturn. Sandworms, don't you hate them? Oh, come on. We're like peas in a pod, the three of us. Let's face it. You want somebody out of the house. I want to get somebody out of your house. Come on. Look. We've been to Saturn. Hey, I've been to Saturn. Whoa. Sandworms. You hate them, right? <laughs> I hate them myself. Come on, kids. What do I have to do to strike a deal with you two, huh? Oh. Oh, I you, never even you never put that together, huh? Thought about that. <laughs> no, I just thought I just thought they went into like another realm or something. No, I mean that was always my idea uh, on it as well. But uh, you know, like Beetlejuice says Saturn and talks about sandworms. So I'm like, all right, they must be on Saturn. And since I've never been to Saturn, I can't say whether it has sandworms or not. But uh, okay, so Barbara pulls him back, and they find out. That whenever you leave the house, like a lot, a lot time goes by very quickly uh, in the house, even though it doesn't seem right. like nothing's ha- any, anything is happening to them at the time. So Adam was gone for like yeah. two months or whatever when they he stepped away, or t- no, he was gone for four hours or something like that. Hours. Yeah, it was like yeah. So that's our our first realization that that there's a, a time distortion element when the Maitlands leave the house, and that's that's going to be a big factor in, in things down the road here. Uh, but right. again, with no guidance. They don't, you know, they don't really seem to be able to figure out the handbook for the recently deceased. Uh, it, it, according to Adam, it reads like uh, stereo instructions, so they don't know what any of it means. Yeah. So they just kind of right. go about living their undead lives <laughs> like they used to. Right. Um, which I suppose is uh, an interesting way to experience your afterlife for a little while. Just you know, Adam's playing with his models, and Gina, uh, Barbara's still trying to recar- uh, wallpaper the house, I guess. Well, isn't that kind of what they they say about ghosts? Is that they're just kind of they're just kind of going about what they would normally do in their daily lives because it's just like an an echo or memory, and they're kind of trapped in in whatever that that loop is. So I I, I thought that was an interesting um, way of portraying that. Yeah, I think okay, that's, I think that's a, I think that's a good point. I think that's pretty good, pretty reasonable of you, sir. The only the only scene that I thought was a little weird, and maybe 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 this 
plays exactly into what you just said. You know, it's about, you know, just kind of you do your routine kind of thing. But I was like, I, 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 the scene where they're asleep in the bedroom. And mm-hmm. I was kind of like, are they really asleep? That seems like a weird waste of your afterlife. <laughs> Maybe ghosts get tired too. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. I really think that scene just existed so they could show uh, uh, Barbara floating over the bed or off to the side. Sure. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But still, uh, you know, a fun thing to kind of remind you, like, hey, they're really dead. <laughs> in, yeah. case you, in case you weren't sure at first. Yeah. But then their home is sold. Uh, we, we didn't talk about the annoying real estate agent who who's, keeps trying to sell their house <laughs> without them knowing about it. What an awful person. <laughs> right? This person's supposed to be their friend, and she keeps showing them their their house to other people who might want to buy it. Well, that, and and not not only that, but, I mean, she, she knows they don't want to sell the house, and... After they die, she wastes zero time in cashing in. Yeah, their 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 quote unquote you know? friend Jane, the real estate agent who's been sending pictures of their house to strangers in New York. Right. Like, yeah, what is that? I, <laughs> she's kind of a creep, right? Yeah, I was like, oh, this is a shitty human being. <laughs> she just, I, I, I get it. It's a small town. There's like you know ten houses, but I mean, maybe don't be a real estate agent. Maybe be real estate agent slash grocery store clerk i don't know <laughs> don't put all your eggs in that one basket yeah stop trying to sell people's yeah. houses who already own the house and aren't planning on moving right yeah she did not even wait for those bodies yeah. to get cold she's like oh the maintenance are dead nope. want to buy it let's put it in escrow yeah. right now <laughs> yeah jane awful person just saying it right now yeah and yeah. Her, da- her daughter's a creep too i didn't like the look of her yeah. Nope. Because she looked she looked exactly like her. <laughs> and I I think in the credits the name of the child character is Little Jane. I believe you are correct. Yeah. <laughs> well, now that the, the Maitlands are dead, creep the, that that creep that she is Jane moves in, sells their house to the Dietzes, a a couple from New York City. The husband was like a, a big real estate kind of mogul-y kind of guy. Uh, and he's like super yeah. stressed out, so he has to get away from the city and get away from the the, the hectic nine to five that he was living. Uh, w- would you describe them as yuppies? Would that be the right word? Yeah, Charles Dietz, I think, is definitely a yuppie. Um, he's definitely tired of that life, though, and he just kind of wants to go to the country and and watch birds. Uh, whereas Delia Dietz, I think, is also a yuppie, but. She tends to be on the more kooky, eccentric side of it. Yeah, I was trying to decide if she was just... I, was, I wasn't sure if Yuppie was the right word to apply to her because she's like... I don't know, like... I, 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 again, I can't think of the right word. I mean, she's just like this like weird bohemian hipster person. <laughs> you know? Very into like the New York uh, uh, like art scene kind of stuff. I, I, I couldn't find the right word to kind of... Uh, and again, I guess you don't want to label people necessarily, but you know, you try, you try to figure out some way to explain them to somebody. Yeah, I, I mean, I for those reasons, I, w- I would I would say she's a yuppie. She just seems kind of so plugged into the New York art scene and and kind of very, I think, desperately wants to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. That you know, like she wants it so much that it actually kind of hinders her own creativity, and she doesn't quite. She doesn't quite realize that this, 
her pursuit of status is, is getting in the way of, of her as an artist. Yeah, it, it's interesting to, to I, obviously we don't get a lot of, of, of background information on how they, uh, Charles and Delia came together. Uh, we, we know that uh, this isn't Charles's first marriage uh, because uh, Lydia tells right. us that Delia is, is her stepmother. Um, but it, they, they, they seem so different because, you know, Charles is sort of like that, you know, New York executive, you know, just, you know, making all the money, blah, 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 you know, stressed out and all that shit. Yeah. Um, and then, and of course, we do, as I mentioned, we do have Lydia. And, and I don't know. I mean, Lydia dresses in black, but I don't know if I would consider her like goth necessarily, would you? No, not really. I mean, kind of a little bit. She's kind of goth light, I suppose. Yeah, she's just a, a young teenage girl uh, sort of exploring her emotions. Is that a good way to put it? <laughs> Maybe the kind of darker side of her emotions. Sure, sure, sure. You know, I mean, hey, yeah. we all we all have a black phase at some point, Mark, where we all wear black. Yes, I remember. Everyone was wearing black. I just thought it was a thing. <laughs> Different movie, sorry. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. So uh, obviously, I I suppose the Dietzes exist in this form because like they are just the complete opposite of who the Maitlands are, and and what they want to do to this house that the Maitlands love so very very much is is pretty, pretty much like the Maitlands like nightmare. Right. So these people represent the Maitlands nightmare, <laughs> and they're they're stuck in this house because it's it's all they can do. This is. I forget the exact terminology that they that they use in the handbook for the recently deceased, and that is uh, referenced to them when they are in the waiting room for the afterlife. Uh, but yeah, they can't go anywhere; they're stuck in the house. That that's that's yeah. their afterlife. So now they're stuck yeah. with these people who they can't stand, who have uh, very uh, eccentric tastes and uh, are very unconventional in a lot of regards. So their struggle is now to figure out a way to get the ma- uh, to get the Dietzes out of their house so they can stay in their house. I guess they just want to make it a haunted house and never ever have to anyone live there ever again. Though, right. that's not necessarily true. I should take that back. They do explain to Juno once they meet with Juno, which we'll get to that, that they wouldn't mind living with another couple and sharing the house, just not the Dietzes. Some of, they want someone right. more like themselves. Yeah. Um, eventually, things happen. <laughs> I'm kind of fast-forwarding a little bit here, but uh, they're able to figure out from the handbook that they can go into the, the other realm, I suppose they call it, to meet with their, their, their caseworker. The word I was looking for here is the other side. The other side. Yes. So they, they draw the door, they knock on it three times, uh, uh, and, and this is where we get transported from the house to the afterlife, the, or this iteration of the afterlife. How did you think of that? I mean, like visually, it's just so impressive and so unique. But uh, what what stood out about it to you? I mean, everything. You know, I think even as a kid, um, maybe not in these terms, but it, it was just such a such a great metaphor for the afterlife. Um, kind of purgatory as this waiting room where you take a number, and the numbers are millions of digits long, um, and it, it serves as such a great source of humor in the film in that you see everyone as they died. Um, 
you know, Grunlock, I think his name is, who has the, the chicken bone yeah. stuck in his neck, the the diver with the shark on his leg, um, the the magician's assistant who got sawed in half. And, you know, so it just, it, it just serves as... Um, sort of visual comedy and a lot of a lot of gags then kind of sprout forth out of that well you know one of the one of the great jokes in the movie uh is is and i can't remember the exact placement of the joke but it's it's a line from from otho uh who says that uh people who commit suicide end up as civil servants in the afterlife that's right yeah that's exactly who are all the people working in the in that uh Social service, you know, undead social services are people who've slit their wrists or been jumped in front of buses or whatnot, things like that. People who've hung themselves. Yeah. So it's it's one of those understated jokes that kind of like I think if you're not really paying attention to the movie, you kind of miss. Right. And and that was your boy Glenn Shaddix who delivers that amazing line. Yes, it was. I we we kind of we kind of skipped over the fact we we kind of skipped over Otho's first appearance uh, at the house when when the Dietzes are moving in. And you know Delia's arts coming in, and and uh, Otho climbs in through a window. He doesn't want to go in through the front door. Uh, and and th- <laughs> this is this is when the Maitlands start to realize that they they can't leave the Dietzes because Otho is going to destroy this house to make it this uh, I that super urban chic thing out in the middle of the country, I suppose. Right. Yeah. Again, I don't know the terminology for like cool hipster things. I really should look into that more. <laughs> I mean, that's you know, that's exactly what he's trying to do. He's just trying to change the house into something that it's not. He wants to make it like a like an urban art museum almost. Yeah, it's exactly. Yeah, they. I mean, they sort of represent this this urban. Um, I, I I'll just I'll just go with like urban chicness that is is so counter to the Maitland's more traditional, you know, Norman Rockwell esque. Uh, idea of 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 a, of a house and a home and things like that. Yeah, it's a it's a very country aesthetic with the with the Maitlands like. You know, you got a. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think of Michael Keaton's line when he's talking about the uh, Adam's clothes. It's like, <laughs> I forget what he says now. I I just remember him saying like, "Hey, we we share the same tailor." Maybe that's what it was, and maybe I'm maybe I'm thinking there was a different line there that I don't remember. Oh well. Yeah, I'll cut that out. <laughs> okay. Uh, all right. So eventually, we, again, we sort of fast forward a little bit here, but the 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 Maitlands basically trap themselves and lock themselves in the attic of the house and make that the one area that the that the Ma- the Dietzes can't access. Right. Until. Our good friend, our great friend Jane, the realtor, shows up with the house's skeleton key. Yes. And she gives it to Lydia, a.k.a. Winona Ryder in the film, who is taking pictures of of the moving-in process. She's kind of documenting everything. She's a a bit bit of a a, a film... No, a camera person, right? Like, like loves the... Photographer. photographer. Jesus Christ, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so she's documenting all this stuff and it's it's kind of funny that she's so much so into photography uh for her character because uh you know she has such a, a weird relationship with Delia but she's also kind of artsy in her own way with the photography mm-hmm. as opposed to sculptures which is Delia's thing. Right. And despite the fact that like again they have, they have a very strange relationship but they're yes. kind of, they're kind of similar. 
But but Lydia can see the Maitlands. She sees them in in the attic window when they're watching the events of the move in and the and the re- remodeling of the house commencing. Right. So she gets the key, and and Lydia's very curious. She wants to know about the these people who lived here, and that's when creepy little Jane uh, says that they died. <laughs> that's right. Like a total sociopath that she is. <laughs> Uh, but we get the skeleton key. Lydia makes her way into the the attic, starts seeing the, the the models that are there. But this is when the Maitlands have gone to the afterlife because that that was their solution for getting for being able to hide. Or was that when they had just hung up? No, no, that was their first time because they hung out the window later when the entire family comes up the attic. Correct. <laughs> this is also when we start getting our first little introduction to Beetlejuice too, because he leaves a little flyer around. Yeah. What? Uh, and we also. Yeah, go ahead. No, I was going to say we also see him. You get the sense that he's he's in Adam's model yes. of the town, but we don't exactly know where. And he's uh, reading the obituaries because, as he says, it's time to look for a job. And that's when he sees the Maitland's obituary. And, and so uh, we've established that uh, Beetlejuice wants them for something. But we don't quite know what. What? Let, let's talk about Beetlejuice a little bit here. Uh, what do you think is going on with him necessarily? Like, he's able to get himself into this model, but he can't quite get out of it. Is you know what I mean? Like, like is he sort of in like this weird like limbo state? Because you know, obviously, you have to say his name three times to kind of ev- evoke him. In 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 that regards, like like, what's going on with him? What do you think? Do you have any thoughts on that? Uh, I. I just kind of went with it. I didn't... The questions crossed my mind, but the movie just doesn't really seem too interested in in giving you much of a backstory for the character as as to how he got himself into this scenario. Um, It could be that in order to work with someone much like, you know, you have to say his name three times that in order to work with someone, he can't just, uh, sort of automatically appear before them that he has to kind of insinuate himself into their afterlives somehow. Like there's obviously some kind of strange rules governing this character, but we can we never really get a sense of of what those are and and how he got there. You know, he's just kind of he's just kind of the genie in the bottle. Yeah, I think that's it, I think it's a, a fair way to look at it. it it's it's again like you said, it, it's the movie's not interested in answering those questions or exploring that. It, it's it, it's just kind of fun to, to consider it, I guess, on, on just as a, a fan of the film. Yeah. And, 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 you know, I, so I've, I've always thought sort of the same thing as yourself, you know, I just kind of, since he's not playing within the rules of the afterlife that, that perhaps he has to kind of be evoked or summoned in the way that like, you know, you would have to be, if you wanted to conjure a demon or conjure a spirit or whatever like that, you have to have like a seance kind of thing for him. So something like that kind of brings him about is my, my assumption. Yeah. Um, I was just going to say that, you get you get the idea that that something happened to him because he used to work for Juno. Yeah, she says she says that. Yeah, that he 
he started free he used to work with her then he started freelancing as a bio exorcist which i think he got himself what's that isn't that what your resume says freelance bio exorcist yes that's a good job title yeah um but but then he gets himself into more trouble and we don't know what that is and um so we're we're just left to either fill in the blanks or, or just that's the only explanation that, that we're gonna get for for it. it. Your street's very busy with crime this week. I live next to a fire station, oh. man. What do you want? <laughs> well, like like uh, sorry. Like bad religion told us, Los Angeles is burning. So there you go. I mean, I didn't need bad religion to tell me that. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, you're you're totally right, and, and I, I on, and honestly, I think it's part of the the, the the quirky charm of the of the picture that Beetlejuice kind of is, and that's all we need to really know to enjoy the movie. Like there, there doesn't have to be some grandiose explanation of who he is and where he came from, and excuse me, why is all this happening, or, or you know, why is he in this circumstance, that kind of stuff. Like we don't need a lot of exposition on where he came from, and and how he got here. He yeah. just is, and this is. He, he's inserting himself in this, the Maitland situation. Deal with it. Yeah, and if we did get some explanation, it would probably be bad. Yeah, I, I think you're 100 percent right, and I, I, I sort of often wonder. I mean, this movie is not written by by Tim Burton, uh, but it seems like a very Tim Burton esque move to sort of avoid uh, uh, exploring that something that's kind of uh, should just stay nebulous and, and unknown. Sure. Uh, by the way, and just since we since we did bring it up, we should give uh, the writing credits, story, and screenplay. Uh, the story is is Michael McDowell and Larry Wilson. The screenplay credits go to Michael McDowell and Warren Scarin. Okay. So there you go. Yeah, but again, not written by Tim Burton. So which I think some people are always kind of confused by. Yeah, I, you know, you you see the film and you think it's very it's very Tim Burton esque. I mean, obviously for the visual style, but also I think just the type of story that it is. You know, it seems like a Tim Burton movie, so I can see where people would would make that would make that assumption. Yeah, you know, and I should have mentioned it at the, at the beginning of the, of the of the episode, uh, but but one of the things I, I most remember about the film from the first viewing of it that we had. Again, back in 1988 or 89, whenever it was that we watched it on, on VHS, uh, the, the, the score by Danny Elfman, just oh, yeah. so off the charts good. And, and one of those things that just kind of like sticks in your brain. Like, mm-hmm. I feel like everyone knows the Beetlejuice music if they hear it, even if they're not Beetlejuice fans necessarily. Like, you, you just kind of like recognize that, that music. Sure. Yeah. You know, and Elfman, Danny Elfman is always very good at, at, at scores like that that just kind of. Uh, uh, stick into your brain. Yeah, and you know, I think like like Tim Burton, um, or like Tim Burton's visual style, in that we hadn't seen something like that before at the time. We hadn't really heard a musical score like Danny Elfman before. It was very, it was very original. Oh, a hundred percent original. I mean, you know. I mean, only a handful of people probably remember Oingo Boingo, but I mean, Danny Elfman, obviously a very unique uh, musical talent for sure. Uh, sure. And again, obviously, uh, for the audience of this podcast, we, who we know best for his uh, Tim Tim Burton's '89 Batman soundtrack. Right. 
but yeah, I mean, the the opening music in this movie, I mean, like I said, it just it just kind of catches you. And I think, I I <laughs> it's so funny how I'm jumping all over the place. I apologize, but Sorry. yeah, going back to the opening of the movie, though, I mean, I I feel like that this music completely sets the tone for the picture, and you're you're either in or you're out from that opening music, from that opening uh, transition scene to the model and things like that. Like the, the, the tone is set and you're, you're either going to like this or you're not. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I I can't, I can't uh, uh, compliment Danny Elfman for this score uh, because it's just, it's just one of those wonderful things I like. And I enjoy listening to, to this day. Yeah. Anyway. So back to the movie where, you know, we have the Maitland's, they're they're in the afterlife. They're talking to Juno. They have to figure out how they can scare uh, the Dietzes after some failed attempts uh, because the Dietzes can't see them. So how the hell are they supposed to scare them out of their house? Correct. Uh, it, it should be. We should talk about that a little bit. Uh, you know, yes, the Maitlands failed at their attempt to scare the Dietzes because the Dietzes couldn't see them. Uh, but that's one. This is this is where some of the great visual effects of the, of the movie come into play. Uh, you know, when Barbara rips her face off and, and, and uh, Adam, you know, again, just like really cool special effects. Maybe they look a little dated now, mm-hmm. but I, I still think it's pretty impressive for the time. Oh, I think it looks great. You know, there's a good use, good use of, of practical effects. And, 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 you know, again, I don't think there's much CG in here at all, but it, it's, you know, a little bit of stop motion, a little bit of, of practical makeup and things like that. What do you think of that yeah. from a, from a, from a, from a, a, a per, from the perspective of someone who's made a film before, Mark, what do you, what do you think? I think it all looks great. Um, and I think, you know, it doesn't have to look a hundred percent realistic because the film is a comedy and there, there's just the comic undertones throughout. Um, and the visual effects, I think, I think carry that, help to carry that point across that that this is a comedy. Because whereas the, whereas you know Barbara ripping her face off and then holding Adam's severed head, you know it's all, it's all grisly, but it's you know it it's toned down. It's a bit cartoonish. So, so even if even if the technology itself does it, it maybe it looks a little bit dated. I think it still works in that respect. Yeah, I I would agree with that hundred percent. I think uh, most of it holds up pretty well. Uh, there's a, a couple shots here and there, uh, but that's mostly when it's kind of transitioning from uh, miniatures to you know like live action footage, uh, particularly in, in the right. climax with the sandworm crashing through the house. That's when only the only time it's a little I'm like, yeah, okay, that's not the best, but that was good for 1988. Yeah. A lot has happened in technology and special effects since 1988. That is for damn sure. Yeah, not all of it good. <laughs> uh, let's okay. So the DCs come back from with a plan, but again, the time distortion effect is is, is in play, and we find out they've been gone for two months. So the renovations on the house are complete, and and, and Barbara and and Adam are shocked to, to see what the DCs have done to the house. It, it's their home, but they barely recognize it. Right. So they they retreat back to their attic and they begin to come up with a, with their with their plan of how to how to scare the Dietzes out of the house, and uh, this leads to one of the I, I, well, the signature moment of, of the picture, right? The Deo, right? Deo's has got to be like the signature piece. 
I mean, I think it's what a lot of people remember. It's it's not my favorite scene. <laughs> so Adam and Barbara, uh, big big fans of the Calypso music, as is established before their deaths. Uh, right. They 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 are able to sort of not take possession and and make the the Dietzes and their their party guests perform Deo. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I'm sorry. I just the, the it's one of those scenes I love to watch nowadays. Like like you said, maybe it's not your favorite scene in the movie because it's just, it's it's a little silly. But for me, watching an an actor like 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 Catherine O'Hare do this scene where she's lip syncing Deo, but her eyes are saying something completely different. Right. It, it's one of those like again a scene where like if you have the right talent in in, in the role. Uh, it, it works for me on a different level than I think it does for for the casual audience, maybe. Yeah, I, I mean, I think you know the the performances in in the scene are great, and you know, good job on the part of all the actors involved, especially Catherine O'Hara. Um, but uh, for me, it was for me. It's it's also a little bit a little bit of a stretch because. Um, you know, Juno is is telling Adam and Barbara to to keep it simple and to do what they know. And what they come up with to to scare them out of the house is this elaborate dance sequence. <laughs> yes. And I just thought this is no one would do this. This is not keeping it simple. Keeping it simple is like throwing a chair across the room and making someone think there's a poltergeist in the house. You know what I mean? Like, well, we, did, we, we, we did see them try to use the sheets. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's true. That is they, true. They, they did. They did try cutting holes in bed sheets and, and Lydia, uh, this is when Lydia realizes that they're, they're, they're ghosts. Uh, Cause that's true. Yeah. We kind of, we kind of skipped over that. Yeah. I yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> No, but still, to, 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 to go from sheets to that, I don't know. I feel like maybe there should have been one more bridging event to show the development of their of their ghost abilities. I, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, you're right. I mean, and I guess we should mention since the bedsheets were part of the, the plan when they realized that no one could see them, so they, they started using bedsheets, and of course Lydia figures it out. And this is the beginning of Lydia and, and the Maitlands becoming friends. Right. I, you know, as, as she's trying to figure out, and, I, Lydia, Lydia has a, a unique relationship with them, almost like as the Maitlands almost become like like foster parents to her in, in in some sense because they seem to try and understand her as opposed to uh, uh, Charles and, and Delia, who just kind of I don't want to say they ignore her; they're not like negligent parents, but they just don't seem to understand her or try to understand her. Yeah, I mean, I would definitely say that they're they're negligent parents. Um, okay, all right. You're going for it. Yeah, yeah. No, they, they definitely. I mean, Delia especially ignores her, and you know, Charles just doesn't want to have anything to do with anything. So, well, again, he likes he, um, likes, he likes to watch birds eat weird things. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, I you know that scene with the bed sheets when they meet Lydia. I think it, it you know it's 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 arguably one of the most important scenes in the. In the movie, because well, good it, thing we it just glossed really... over it, Mark. Thanks. <laughs> What's that? Good thing we glossed over it. Yeah, um, <laughs> but but no, it, it's um, it, 
it's it's establishing i think kind of the the emotional core of of the film which is you know lydia is 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 looking for for parents and someone who cares and we also they establish early on in, in the movie that adam and barbara had tried to have kids but, but they, they failed can. right right and they were they were thinking about possibly trying again and so yeah it it does. It, it it starts this sort of uh mother and father daughter relationship be- between the three characters it by the way it should be pointed out that it was that monster jane that pointed out that barbara couldn't have kids monster monster but there was also when they when they were driving back from the hardware store before they died um, I think is when Adam said that they could try again. They could try again. Right. Yeah. 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 No, you're definitely right. Yeah. And you're right. I mean, we, 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 we went a little out of order there, but like that, that relationship between Lydia and, and Adam and Barbara is, is really important to the movie. It, it sort of is the, the, the bond that, that, that we, that gives it an emotional core, like you said. Yeah, and I mean, it's sort of the start of it is kind of what takes us from Act One to Act Two, and it's also it's also um, Lydia's love for Adam and Barbara that also takes us in, into the, from the second act and in, into the third act, which you know we'll get to. So yeah, and and uh, you know that 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 growing friendship and that growing. Um, I don't know parental esque relationship is, is is something that that helps the uh the maitlands realize they may you know they don't necessarily maybe scaring them out of the house isn't the best idea because they start to really love lydia too right yeah so it, it, it there's a lot there's a lot in this movie really i mean listen it's 90 minutes it's not like deep or anything you know <laughs> but like there there's there's a little bit of heart in here it's a solid solid story no, definitely. I, I think for a ninety-minute movie, it it does a very good job of of navigating all the different pieces. You know, the the kind of surface level comedic stuff, and and then kind of the the emotional core of the film as well. Yeah, and it's it's important to to uh, I, again, it's not a, a super complicated movie, but like there's enough facets to it. Uh, that make this movie appeal to people in different age groups. You know, like I said, you and I were very young, so I think we sort of gravitated towards, like, Michael Keaton's just kind of, like, balls-out comedic performance. But, you know, Mm -hmm. eventually you get to the point where you you start to understand and relate to the Lydia character. And then as you kind of get older, you kind of see where where the Maitlands are coming from with their perspective on things. And and it's it's a... a, Like I said, it's a a fun movie. that I, I watch this basically on the reg. <laughs> like, oh. like maybe once or twice a year at least. Okay. Particularly in October's. Yeah. Uh, and I, I think that's why my, uh, one of the reasons why my appreciation for it, it continues to grow is because I, I, I can sort of connect to each character in a, in a different way as I've watched it and as I've aged with the film. And it's, it's not like a nostalgia watch. I mean, like, it's a good picture. Like, it's, yeah, sure, it's, uh, what, 30 years old? But it, it, it holds up really well. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, I haven't watched this in years, um, so I was wondering how it would hold up. And, and yeah, I, th- I, thought, I thought it held up great. All right, that's good, because I was a little nervous you were going to tell me I was wrong, and <laughs> this is a real piece of shit. <laughs> no, no. 
we'll, we'll save that for a different episode. I think we have a couple other ones planned for 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 very very soon. Where you're you're gonna bust my balls on on, on a couple. Oh, we got yeah, we got some ideas. <laughs> All right. So after the Deo scene, um, the opposite happens, which I think as an audience we all saw coming was a. Uh, uh, the the, the Dietzes love this. Uh, Delia and Charles and Otho and everybody, uh, uh, they now want the ghosts to do this on their own <laughs> for them on a regular basis for all their house guests. Right. Which, by the way, we should also mention the uh, the just we haven't gotten to Robert Goulet's cameo just yet, but like Dick Cavett's in this movie for God's sake. Oh wow! I didn't. I, I it completely. I completely blanked on that, that that was him. Yeah, it, it's it's Cavett as, as Delia's agent. Okay. <laughs> just, yeah. It's just one of those things. And again, like as a kid, I don't know who Dick Cavett is, but like, you know, watching it 10 years ago, I started to figure out, I was like, wait a second, that's Dick fucking Cavett. Yeah. But, you know, that's kind of a Tim Burton thing, is kind of casting, like, older actors or older celebrities that are maybe a little bit forgotten and, and kind of putting them in his films, like... You know, the the guy gave the guy resurrected Martin Landau's career with Ed Wood. Ed Wood, great and, picture. Uh, you know, so so I, you know, and he loves like putting Christopher Lee in his movies and things like that. So that that kind of makes a lot of sense. You know, that, now, that, now that you point that out, that it, it, that's also something that I, I've always really respected about uh, Quentin Tarantino. Mm-hmm. You know, you know, somebody who who kind of. Uh, like honors and, and remembers like the roots, like the things that the, they loved when they were kids, and, and the way that Quentin brought back Robert Forster's career, and, and you know, and and uh, even Pam Grier's to a certain extent, putting her back yeah. in the spotlight with Jackie Brown. I mean, uh, uh, I think that's always really really cool when when the filmmaker can can uh, um, use their their you know their you know their their passion projects basically to to be like hey. Remember this guy. This guy was awesome. Or this 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 female actress was awesome. Let's bring them back into this because they may have fallen out of the limelight for whatever reason, but they're they're still a really good actor. <laughs> Put them in the movie. Yeah, you know, and I it, they they never lost touch with with being with being fans. I think. Yeah, I think that's a great way to put that. Uh, so it it that again one of my favorite things about about Tarantino and and I think you're right Tim Burton definitely does that as well. I had sort of forgotten about the whole Ed Wood thing, but yeah, you're you're 100% right about him and Landau. Um so again, the plan backfires. They right. want the Dietzes or I'm sorry, they want the Maitlands to be like their party planners basically and and, and do these possessions and and, and you know, parlor tricks kind of things to entertain uh, party guests, uh, the Maitlands refuse. Surprise, surprise. Right. Uh, but this is when Otho cooks up the plan because he Otho finds the book for the recently deceased. Right. And he concocts a plan to. Well, he thinks I think he thinks he's summoning them, but he's actually going to commit an exorcism against them. Yeah, he's he's not aware of what he's doing. He thinks it's just like a seance. I think. Now, before the seance can happen, though, this is when the the Maitlands be- first kind of come to Beetlejuice and and like, listen, we need we need help because right, it's getting bad. Like, we can't get rid of these people, and now they want us to entertain their guests. Yes. <laughs> so let's talk about that scene. They 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 say Beetlejuice three times. They go into the model, and this is our 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 first face to face interaction. And uh, from the Maitlands' perspective, it doesn't go well. Right. 
I don't know. What, what are your what are your takeaways from the scene? What are, what are your memories of it? Um, I mean, as a kid, I always thought it was funny. Um, there was, I remember as a kid, there were just like a lot of things that um, I didn't like. I couldn't understand what the hell Michael Keaton was saying. <laughs> um, and I think not so much in this scene, but like I remember specifically like like his TV ad. When and I I watched it with um with subtitles this last time, so I was able to like kind of like catch what some lines were. But like that song he sings, "I'll eat whatever you want me to eat, I'll swallow whatever you want me to swallow, <laughs> I'll chew on a dog." Yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah. as a kid, I just heard "chew on a dog," and I was like, "What the hell is that?" But I thought it was funny, you know. But but now you know I get kind of the whole the whole picture of it. Um, but yeah, you know, so as a kid, I just think it, it's like off the wall funny and, you know, but today it's like, I, I love, I love just like how gross and slovenly Beetlejuice is that he's just like this, you know, he's just got rotten teeth and a beer gut and he's just a slob and a pervert. And, <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it, it was, it, it's great. Well, I mean, he has seen The Exorcist 167 times. And it keeps getting funnier every time he sees it. <laughs> exactly, yeah, yeah. And you know, we again, we sort of, we, we sort of, you know, we're, we're moving through the picture kind of quickly. But as events are unfolding, Beetlejuice is trying his best to to get the Maitlands to, you know, say his name and evoke him into into the things, despite Juno's warning to not do yeah. so. But now the Maitlands are desperate, and, and they they've had the meeting with them. And again, this kind of gives Beetlejuice a little bit more. Juice, for lack of a better word, like he gets a little bit more powerful the first time he's evoked, in in this yeah. for this face to face meeting inside the model, which is pretty good. It's pretty good, but the, yeah, the maintenance are quickly turned off because Beetlejuice is a little intense, a little intense, and yeah, he's just he's just all over Barbara. <laughs> he's so he's such a creep. He is such a creep. He, yeah, he, he's like he's like hugging Adam, but like trying to cop a feel at the same time on Barbara. I I mean, it's kind of the original grab him by the. Moment, you know. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, obviously, Beetlejuice is not their cup of tea. But I, I think one of the things that that impresses me the most, like when I rewatch this scene nowadays, is is just like just how fast Michael Keaton is with 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 what he says with, with his lines. They're not necessarily lines because from what I've heard, Michael Keaton like improv like ninety percent of this. Oh, really? Wow. I mean, that's 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 what I've read. Okay. You know, if 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 the IMDb can be believed. I, yeah, I think so. I mean, I can see him ad-libbing a lot of that. And I think, you know, I think obviously I'm sure the writers had something in there in place of it. And then I'm sure Michael Keaton just kind of took it and made it his own. I, I feel like any actor would kind of would kind of have to in playing that that kind of role. Yeah, know? no, no, I totally agree. But I just how like, and, you know, maybe it's editing or whatever, but like he's so fast. <laughs> with all these lines and with everything, I mean, like this is just a dude like at the top of his game as an actor, and is just yeah. dialed in on what he wants his character to be. And it, it, yeah. again, that, I, I mean, think he probably it... had. Go no, go ahead, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I was just gonna say he probably just had so many ideas going into it, and and then just you know plucked them and and put them wherever you know when he felt felt it appropriate. You know? Yeah, I, yeah. Again, just an just an, an an actor at the top of his game. I was just gonna say, just, you know, Keaton was just just on top of his game here. I mean, and, and I, I 
the sheer bravado he kind of brought to the role, I think, is one reason why it makes it such a memorable performance, memorable character. Mm-hmm. You know, he he just had uh, some real, uh, I don't know, chutzpah for this one. <laughs> yes. <laughs> what is that? Not the, not the right word. You think? I don't think that. They don't, you don't like that one. <laughs> no, I know what you're going for. You can just say it. You can just say it. He just he brought a lot of balls to it. <laughs> yeah, I was trying not to say balls, but yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I guess we have to kind of get to uh, the, the Act Three, right? The climax. Well, or do we know? Not, do you want to go back to the? No, we, you want to go back? We to... didn't. Yeah. So after after the Deo scene. Um, you know, that's when, that's when Beetlejuice goes to work on the Dietzes. Oh my God, you're right. Yes. As they're coming down the stairs. Yes, you're 100% right. We should not forget this. This is when Beetlejuice, again, yeah, he hasn't officially been hired by the Maitlands, but he decides that he's been evoked. So he now has some power in the real world. Yeah. And it's time to really scare the shit out of the Dietzes. Yeah, but of course, <laughs> no one knows it's Beetlejuice. It's it's uh, they assume it's the you know the Dietzes assume it's the Maitlands who are trying to get them back. And yeah, this is this is great stuff with the 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 snake, and, mm-hmm. and oh man, talk about it some more. We come for your daughter, Chuck. <laughs> just just a great claymation snake um, attacking the Dietzes, throwing. Jeffrey Jones down the stairs, um, getting what does he do? Does Otho just take off? I forget what happens to Otho. If he just yeah. runs off, or I thought, I thought he fell down the stairs or was pushed down the stairs or something. Maybe, yeah, maybe he got pushed down the stairs. Um, you know, and just uh, the, the snake being voiced, the the snake with the likeness of Beetlejuice being voiced by Michael Keaton, uh, and then kind of fixing his eye on. Lydia. Yes. Because he's a perfect. And yeah. And <laughs> you, whereas before Beetlejuice has been this disgusting, slimy character, you now see that sinister side of him and just exactly what he's capable of. And, and you know for certain that this is, this is not a good dude. This is not who they, they want to be. The Maitlands, who the Maitlands want to be working with or associated with. In any way, yeah. It, uh, Beetlejuice's actions are. Um, I, I think the Maitlands at this point start to realize that by trying to scare the Dietzes, that they're in the wrong here because it, this has gone way too far. Yeah, and that that they you know yes they didn't want them in their house, but what has just happened to them is is beyond horrible in a lot of senses. Right, exactly. You, you they know, don't they don't want to hurt anybody. Yes, so, but yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. I mean, I was I was gonna say in a very like kind of like PG way. They, <laughs> this was this was going too far. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But yes, exactly right. I mean, the Maitlands are good people, and 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 causing physical harm to the Dieses was was never their intention. They just wanted to scare them and make them leave. But obviously, Beetlejuice uh, turns it up to eleven. Yes. And and yeah, this is this is when. Uh, they go back to the underworld, and, and Juno tries to persuade them with a new set of plans, and you know, avoid Beetlejuice. She Juno's not the greatest caseworker for for them, is she? 
No, she doesn't. She doesn't really explain anything. You know, she she tells them to put Beetlejuice back, but she doesn't really tell them how. Yeah. And I think she also gives them a bad plan because she says you have to get the Dietzes out yourselves. Now show me how you're going to do it. Right. And they, Adam and Barbara, proceed to make silly, scary faces, and I. You know, I never thought about it when I was a kid, but but watching it this time, I was like, well, what is contorting their faces in, into these oddball shapes? What's that going to do if the Maitlands still can't see them? Or uh, yeah. Why is she telling I, them to do this? I, I had a similar thought about that, too. I, 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 I feel like that was just to hammer home the point that, like, the Maitlands shouldn't have brought in Beetlejuice, and, but maybe now that they're more capable of their power. I don't know. I You know, I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Again, the, the the movie asks you know it, I don't want to say it asks a lot of us as an audience, but it, it does ask us to accept certain things and just just go with it. Yeah, I, honestly, I I think it was just kind of you know Tim Burton wanted the visual gags of of those faces that that the Maitlands make. Oh, they're I think they're great. Yeah, I think great. the makeup is fantastic. You know, I I love the visual of it, but I think just as a story point, it. Eh. It doesn't exactly work and and makes Juno seem like an idiot. <laughs> so, well, but, she, um, she is stuck with a football team at that point that she is, she can't convince they're dead. So, yeah, that's true. <laughs> but so, so there there was one scene though I I wanted to talk about and it, it's it's between the Beetlejuice snake sequence and the Maitlands going back to Juno and that is we see. Lydia preparing to commit suicide. She's oh, writing a yes. suicide note. Yes. And not this, a very good one. No, a really bad one. And it completely, for me, came out of left field. Um, because, and this is kind of what, what we were talking about before when we were saying like, oh, you know, would you, would you classify her as a goth or not? And the thing is, is that, like, yeah, like she wears black and she's dark and weird but like she seems like a very well-adjusted kid and at no point did it ever seem like she had any kind of suicidal tendencies um so i i thought it was a bit strange and and a little bit of a stretch for them to take the character in in that direction and it's a little dark, but I, it, it, I think it might actually reinforce what you were saying earlier about how she does or how she is neglected by by Charles and, and Delia and, and doesn't feel like welcome and in, in, in the house. I mean, it seems like a dark way to go for a movie that is, you know, again, I think like PG-13. So it's a, it's a little dark in that regard to go to that decision. But I also think part of it is is uh, the relationship with the Malins. Like she sees there is an afterlife. True. And yeah. In in it looks like one where she can like kind of do whatever she wants to do without having to have parents who ignore her and don't care about her. Yeah. I mean. I don't, okay. Again. Yeah. I, and and just a thought. No, it makes her note make more sense actually. How she's saying she's utterly alone. <laughs> right. So okay. You, so right. I I used your argument from earlier to refute your argument now. How about that? You did. <laughs> hey. I'm an open-minded person. Hey, man, my name's not on this podcast for no real good reason, other than the fact that it's my podcast. <sighs> <laughs> oh my god, relax, Tyler. It's fine. <laughs> it's just a joke. <laughs> I know. Uh, the other thing I want—I wanted to go back one more time, a little bit further into the movie, 
to the first time the Maitlands are in the afterlife and they're getting ready to meet Juno for the first time and they're walking down that hallway because uh, I do think it bears mentioning the different rooms that they walk past and uh, the one mm-hmm. room in particular where the curtain comes up and you see the souls that have been exercised, which is, you know, a death for the dead kind of situation. Yes. Uh, and how that foreshadows what's about to happen here in Act 3 of the picture when Otho decides to to uh, uh, begin his seance slash exorcism of the Maitlands. Yeah. And one of my favorite scenes in the movie, actually. Uh, that scene in the hallway. You just um, like that creepy janitor. You like that the most. The creepy, the, the creepy janitor, the, the visual effect of, of the of the spirits in the lost soul's room and you know i think it just it it, it showed that a, a lot of thought went into the building of went into the building of this afterlife oh 100 percent agree with you on that one and uh yeah like a, go ahead no i was just gonna say i love the mythology of of the movie and and that's one of the main reasons why yeah yeah no no you're definitely right about that I had something else I was going to bring up, but now I completely forgot. So, um, <laughs> sorry, you derailed me. Oh well, I'm sure it wasn't that important. Should we just get into the into the uh, the, the that that third act now? That exorcism. Well, probably want to bring up that when they come back from the second meeting with Juno is when they catch Lydia about you're to... right you're right gosh darn it you should be running the show today thank you <laughs> go no go ahead keep going oh you want me to yeah elaborate Wait. should i just start again no okay where oh, do you want me to go now go ahead start again okay all right so after their second meeting with juno uh barbara and adam uh, come back to the attic, and that's when they find Lydia about to invoke Beetlejuice. She's about to say his name yes, for the third right. time. Yeah. And uh, Adam and Barbara stop her, and you know they tell her like, "Hey, we don't, we don't want you to be dead. Like this, like this is not, this is not a good thing that's mm-hmm. happened to us, and and you don't want that." Um, and I think that's, that's also when they, when they tell Lydia that they've decided to let the Dietzes stay. Yeah. They, they just want the whole thing to be over with. Right. Um, but then, but then yes, Otho and the Dietzes have other plans. Um, they've brought Maxi Dean Robert Goulet's character right. in from New York uh, to to see these spirits. So they so they're conducting a séance, and um, because of what's happening to the Maitlands, Lydia is then compelled to make a deal with Beetlejuice. All right, hang on one second here. We do have to mention real quick. Okay. Uh, again, something else. Uh, one of the, again, it's, it it connects to, the, to that joke from earlier that Otho talks about. You know, when you commit suicide, you end up as a civil servant. Yes. Lydia would have worked in that office. That would have been her afterlife. Oh, man. Yeah. You ever think about that? <laughs> I did not think about that, See, but yeah, she you're right. Be, she thinks she's going to be able to like, just hang out with the Maitlands and be dead. But no, no, no. She's not going to work in that fucking office. Right. 
That would suck. Yes. <laughs> Just, you know, food for thought for our audience out there. Right. Hey, thanks for listening. <laughs> All right. go Keep going, man. You're, roll, you're on a roll. I love this. Okay. So. Because, yeah, we got, we, got, we got Maxie Dean. We have the great Robert Goulet, who's a uh, old-fashioned Cajun Creole Christmas, is one of Mark's all-time favorites. Well, just remember, they couldn't get Wayne Newton. <laughs> Wait a second. That was for the Naked Gun, wasn't it? That was the Naked Gun two and a half. <laughs> I was swimming in raw sewage. I love it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no. Quick divergent track there for Naked Gun two and a half. <laughs> yes. Um... Yeah. Uh, what? Uh, yes. So... Yes, uh, Otho's committing or com- uh, be- uh, commencing his uh, seance slash exorcism of the Maitlands because uh, they have to bring them forth so that they can, they can do party favors from them from now on. <laughs> <laughs> Which is like a really weird motivation, I would think. Like, well, I think uh, I think it's more of the the money making aspect than than they just want to see party tricks. Well, and we should also talk about this this other plot point too that it, it's kind of minor uh, to an extent, but like Charles is trying to convince Maxie Dean, this big New York land mogul, uh, uh, to 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 buy this town in Connecticut and kind of like redevelop it as uh, this like kind of uh, 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 yuppie hipster uh, you know weekend getaway town kind of thing. Yeah. So yeah, he, he convinces Maxie Dean to come up for this, and they the, the two things just kind of come together for this this. Uh, we're gonna invoke the houses, the, the 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 dead spirits of this house, on the same night we're here to pitch you on uh, turning this town into into a tourist trap. Well, I think, but I think that's the thing. I I, I think the 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 ghost, the haunted house aspect is what gets Robert Goulet up there in the first place. Well, he just called Charles know? a putz though on the phone. So yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> when's the last time you called anyone a putz? By the way. I don't know, probably since the last time I watched this movie. <laughs> yeah, I just go straight to asshole nowadays. And I'm like, it's, you know. You know right. You're going to put your asshole. <laughs> but is Charles really an asshole? <laughs> kind of. I mean, he's just kind of a putz, to be honest. <laughs> well, I think they want you to I think they want you to think he's a putz so that like at the end of the movie when, you know, everything's okay again. You, you're not like mad they're still around maybe maybe you're maybe you're right maybe putz is the way to go yeah. i just meant like in my but, own personal life i do, i skip the putz stage and go straight to asshole right <laughs> uh, understandable <laughs> all right so yeah so the seance is going on and uh we see the spirits of the maitlands being forced into their wedding clothes which i guess we should have mentioned are still in the house and were made fun yes. of by otho but they are used to yes. Uh, draw forth their 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 spirits from the afterlife, and the, Lydia, in in hopes of saving her friends and her uh, pseudo foster parents, uh, goes to Beetlejuice after he's creeped on her. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I guess she decides he's gonna be the only only way to help them, right? Right. It's an interesting choice. It's a, it's a bold choice. Yeah. But she can she can see the Maitlands are in trouble. Otho has lost control of the seance. And and doesn't really know how to stop it. Doesn't you know? He didn't bother to, to to finish reading the book. He just you know did read the parts he thought he needed, and that was right. that. So yeah, the exactly. the, Mait- the Maitlands are actually in trouble. 
So the deal she strikes is to, hey, save the Maitlands, and then I'll say your name three times, and yeah, I'll marry you, blah, blah, blah. Because apparently Beetlejuice now needs to get married. Okay. Yeah, it was very... It was very interesting because he suddenly was saying how he he wanted out. And I was like, what is that? Like, he wants to be alive again. I wasn't. That was one of those those things about about, about the movie and about Beetlejuice himself that I was kind of like, I, you know, it, it leaves a lot of questions. Yeah, it's a little strange. I mean, you know, Keaton tries to explain it to the best of his ability, you know, and he relates it to being, like, kind of like an illegal immigrant. So he needs, like, a marriage to keep him in the real world, I suppose. Yeah, some yeah, something along those Which lines. I guess, I you know, I don't know if it makes a lot of sense, but sure, for this movie, why not? Let's go with it. We, we've bought into this much. Let's bind to that, too. Yeah. Or, or maybe it could be um, just a way out of whatever this the situation is that he's in that's made him kind of the genie in the bottle. So yeah, maybe he would still point. be a ghost, but governed by the rules, the same rules as everyone else. That's a really good point. Yeah, exactly. I mean, since we don't know, we know the rules for the Maitlands. We don't know the rules for Beetlejuice other than you say his name three times, and that is what gives him power in the real world. Right. But yeah, there's a, there's a whole set of other rules that he's operating under that we aren't uh, privy to. Yeah. So again, you just kind of buy it, buy buy into it. You're like, yeah, okay, that, that's cool. He has to marry Lydia, and then he's gonna be able to have all his cool supernatural powers, but be in the real world at the same time. Yeah, and that's when you get the classic Michael Keaton. It's showtime. Yeah, and, you, you know, get that. He's that awesome the, referee suit. Yeah, he got the. He looks like he works at Foot Locker. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Yeah, this is such a it's such a great look for the character. Well, it, it's it's also interesting to, to think about it in the sense that like okay, it's it's sort of like a suit fashioned out of pinstripes uh, uh, that are evocative of the, the old timey criminals in a lot of ways. So like you know perhaps he was some kind of prisoner where he was. Right. I suppose you can make that metaphor if you wanted to. Uh, but sure. otherwise, I I really just think it's kind of like his Beetlejuice's own unique fashion sense. Right. Which is why he's kind of in like that black and white striped suit. Yeah. But again, there, there's a metaphor to be made there if you want to make it. Yeah. So, Beetlejuice is brought forth. The carnival games commence. Maxi Dean and his his lady are shot through the ceiling, never to be seen again. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. We don't know what happened to them. We don't know if they're dead or what. No, just, you you see gone. them shoot through the, through, the, through the roof of that floor, and I assume out through the house, uh, to the moon perhaps? I, don't, I have no idea how this worked out for Maxi Dean and his lady. <laughs> Yeah, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I'm assuming not well, since they are never to be seen again. That's true. So much for your but, ca- cameo, Robert Goulet. But I also, I, I don't know, I, I I tend to think about like real world repercussions, and nothing really seems to happen to the like. I feel like the Dietzes would be in a lot of trouble if Maxi Dean and his wife just disappeared that night. I don't know if they were so, if they were shot into orbit. I mean, he's just missing, <laughs> you know, missing persons report filed for Maxi Dean. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't know. I guess I always thought they were just knocked unconscious or something. <laughs> and perhaps maybe they're just up in the next floor and sleeping it off. Who knows? Right. We, we never see them again. Let's put it that way. No. In the context of the film, no. we do not see them again. We have no idea. Right. But they are they they definitely do not invest in that town. I can say that much for sure. Thank goodness. <laughs> uh and Beetlejuice does honor his promise to to uh uh end the exorcism of the Maitlands. 
Yes. So they sort of have to like be revived slowly as the exorcism ends, and they can kind of go back to like their natural ghostly states. And this is when yeah. Beetlejuice is attempting to get Lydia to marry him. Charles and 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 Adelia are forced to be the the um, witnesses. Yes. If I missed anything else. Her horrific sculptures come to life. Horrific sculptures come to life. Otho is chased out of the house and forced to wear a, uh, a extremely tacky uh, Cousin Eddie-esque laser suit as he runs yes. away from, from Beetlejuice, which is pretty yes. damn funny. <laughs> yeah, it's a great moment. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. When he does that thing, uh, you know, Otho's running, Beetlejuice turns the spotlight on him, Otho freezes and does like the, 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 the finger guns. Adam, yeah, and blows away like the the very fashionable red and black suit that he's wearing, and replaces right. it with again like what I what I, as soon as I saw the suit I was like oh my god he's wearing cousin cousin Eddie's clothes from from National Lampoon's Vacation. That's a good comparison. <laughs> I didn't think about that, but yeah, that's... yeah, it's just it's like just a really tacky, lame like seventies esque leisure suit. So right. funny and like Otho screams in horror at what he's wearing, right, <laughs> and flees the scene never to, again, never to be seen again, <laughs> never to be seen again. He won't step foot in Connecticut ever again. So Connecticut has been saved by Beetlejuice. I know, yeah. just kidding. Oh, well, it kind of has. <laughs> but that's when we get the Beetlejuice is going to have the, the, this uh, this uh, shotgun esque wedding with Lydia. Uh, mm-hmm. the, the, the just the atrocious uh, burgundy tuxedo with with the ruffled chest. I love piece. it. <laughs> <laughs> and, and Lydia's uh, bridal gown is is also a shockingly horrible red color. <laughs> yeah. Shade of red. I don't know. It doesn't quite match Beetlejuice's, but it's it's definitely or like a like a, almost like a blood red, maybe a scarlet. Yeah, hers is like blood red, and his is like maroon, yeah, burgundy, maroon, burgundy, maybe. like he said. Yeah. yeah, or like a Ron burgundy. What? Sure. <laughs> okay. But at this point, the Maitlands are start, the Maitlands are starting to become more themselves, and and so you know, much like the snake scene that that we talked about earlier, uh, they if they say his name three times, they can send him back to where he went from. So right. like, saying his name three times works like a doorway. It'll let him out, but it'll also push him back in. Yeah. So so we have a fun scene with Barbara trying to say his name, and, and Beetlejuice trying to stop her. They turns her mouth into a zipper, then she unzips it, and then he throws a metal plate ac- across her face. And yeah. Yeah, it, it, it's a really great scene the way it all plays out. Uh, and eventually Beetlejuice sends her to back to Saturn. Yes. Where, she, where Barbara is able to tame a sandworm. Somehow tames a sandworm. I mean, maybe she just mentioned Beetlejuice's name and the sandworm's like, yeah, I'm going to eat that fucker. Yeah. I, again, it's one of those scenes that like, it plays out so strangely. Like, you're like, all right, I guess the sandworm could find the house and crash through it. Good job, Barbara. Right on. Yeah, I mean, again, it's just one of those things of, you know, we, we're not 100% sure how this all works. <laughs> so... Yeah. Um, so so Barbara crashes through the roof of their house with the sandworm from Saturn, and uh, the sandworm engulfs Beetlejuice, thus saving Lydia and the Dietzes from any other uh, shenanigans that Beetlejuice might have in store for them. Yeah. And now, and now the Dietzes can see the Maitlands. Yes. Because they believe. They believe. I just want to give a shout out to. Adam Maitland, who put incredible detail in his model in that he made a model 
a fully functional model of a truck. <laughs> yeah, you're right about that. Yes, Adam gets sent into his model when he's trying to say Beetlejuice's name, and he drives yes. a truck out of the model to crash into Beetlejuice's foot. You are 100% accurate about that. Yeah, it was it was gassed up and everything. Yeah. <laughs> you're right. That's also, that, You're right. That is a weird a little anomaly in the picture that is just fun, so you just go with it. Yeah. But you're like, yeah, what kind of truck is that? <laughs> well, it also could have been... You know, like, it, it might have been funny if they had done something where, like, it was, like, a little wind-up truck I and thought, he had to yes. go to the back and wind it up or something. You know, I don't know. Yeah, no, he totally jump-starts it. Yeah. <laughs> Which is interesting. You're right about yeah. that. <laughs> Maybe he's just that detailed. I mean, he he, he, he might have a terrible vision, you know, 20 feet from his face, but, like, right up in, in you know, when it's super up close. Maybe yeah. he's, got, he's got, like, the super, super specs. He's, he's nearsighted. Yeah, extremely, apparently. Yeah. You know. He's uh, designing the world's smallest smallest uh, combustion engine. Yeah. Good job, Adam Maitland. You're right. Good <laughs> shout-out, Mark. I appreciate that. That's no why, That's why we pay you the big bucks to come on this podcast. Sweet. The check is in the mail. Ask Jack Burton. Hmm. <laughs> okay. So, Beetlejuice sent away via sandworm. Uh... Again, the Maitlands and and the Dietzes, uh, uh kind of come to learn to coexist with each other. We see that Lydia's going to school and she seems much happier. She's wearing a little less black than usual. Yeah, we get the another uh, Deo esque scene to close out the picture. Mm-hmm. And again, it 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 is interesting to watch the movie and and you know uh, in the uh, sort of the epilogue i suppose you know with the new the deetses and the maitlands in the kind of living in this this harmonious household uh the maitlands have significantly more claim on the house than i i, I think i initially remember in the movie you know I, for a while i thought they were just were staying in the attic but like when you watch the scene uh when when lydia re-enters the house into like that that foyer uh that mm-hmm. in, that initial entryway with a stairwell uh i mean you you see uh, barbara's wallpaper up on the walls again too so like they have a little bit more input in that house that I remember them having before. Yeah, I'm, I mean, it's almost you get the sense that the house is pretty much back to being the way that it was. I mean, in in several senses for sure. It's but it, it seems like more of a fifty fifty than I think I uh, initially remembered it being. Okay. I All mean, right. the, I think the only other room you see in the epilogue scene is is the study that Charles kept the same to begin with. Right. Exactly. But you do you do see Delia's uh, Beetlejuice sculpture, which apparently is terrifying to Charles. <laughs> It's a great sculpture. It's, you know, and that's kind of the thing, you know, you can see that this experience has changed her as an artist. And I feel like that kind of lends to the idea that the house is very much like what the Maitlands had to begin with. Okay. You know, like, like, like Delia has changed as as a character as well. So having the house be whatever it was she and Otho had turned it into is not as important to her anymore. Yeah. I think that, I think that's uh, reasonable too. It also seems like, uh, because of the events of the night of the exorcism and in, in the Beetlejuice incursion, <laughs> um, it, it seems like Delia and, and Charles and Lydia now also have a better, stronger relationship as well. Yes. You know, they, they seem much more, everyone seems much more happy, uh, in this new harmonious, uh, uh, uh I don't, I don't know what to call it exactly, but this new family dynamic they seem to have with the Maitlands. 
Yeah, I I will say though that it felt it felt to me like the Maitlands were her parents, and yeah. that Charles and Delia were just kind of just kind of lived there. <laughs> I mean, you, might, you could be right. I mean, like you know, Adam and and, and Barbara are like tutoring her for school and stuff like that. So, well, yeah, you maybe you're wrong. Maybe you're onto something. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, they just seemed more like her parents because you know, it, uh, Lydia has no interaction with Delia or Charles in in that epilogue. We just hear Charles say, "It sounds like Lydia got an A on the science test." Well, I mean that, that's an that's an that's that's an onion with some layers that could be peeled back. But I mean the fact that yeah. Charles knows that she's taking a science test would sort of imply that they are yeah. still involved and they all seem to be happier together. As as uh, Delia's not as a uh, high strung and neurotic as she was earlier in the movie as well. So yeah. you you like to think that there's more of a harmonious balance in the house now, right? At least that's what I think that's what the filmmakers are going for. Yes. <laughs> Uh, and that's kind of like the closeout of this picture, uh, in, until like our little, uh, uh, you know, we get it again. I can't remember what song it was. It's not Deo, but it's, uh, another Calypso song to close out yeah. the picture. Uh, and then yeah. we, we fast forward that, that music becomes the music in the waiting room for the afterlife. And we find, we find Beetlejuice yes. in the waiting room for the afterlife with an ungodly large number. <laughs> yes. Take it, take it in his hand. Yeah, <laughs> and Beetlejuice being Beetlejuice, you know, talking to the the shrunken head hunter, and uh, the the voodoo doctor. I don't know which doctor. I don't know whatever voodoo priest. Voodoo priest is that what you want to call him? Sure. Yeah. yeah, I don't know. I don't want to be offensive to any voodoo priests who are listening. I'm. I mean, I'm pretty sure that's what they're going for. Okay. Which, but which doctor might be more appropriate? Yeah. The who, who after Beetlejuice decides to steal his number. <laughs> yes. In a not very subtle manner. <laughs> no. Uh, again, one of those questions that to me, there's like, there's a lot in this movie that like, yeah, sure, it doesn't make sense if you kind of like want to parse through it, I suppose. But it's like, isn't Beetlejuice dead already? Why is he in the waiting room? And why is, why does he want to meet, meet with Juno? Doesn't he still have like his Beetlejuice powers? It Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. I always kind of took it as maybe, you know, Maybe he's just in a situation now. He doesn't know what to do. He needs some help. So he, he's he's eating some humble pie and going to go see Juno. Yeah, perhaps. And, you know, I, I, again, I think it serves the movie just well. It's this fun little, like, epilogue that, like, oh, Beatrice is still alive, but now he's kind of, like, stuck in this in this uh, 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 DMV-like waiting room for the majority of eternity. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, just a kind of a nice little, little way to wrap him up a little bit and, and – Beetlejuice still is Beetlejuice. He gets his head shrunk. He thinks it might be a good look for him. Who's to say? It definitely is not. He does. He also. There's also that another creepy moment with Beetlejuice as he tries to cop a feel on the on the on the magician assistant who's been sawed in half. <laughs> exactly. Yes. <laughs> Again, Michael Keaton just at the top of his game in this movie, just funny as fucking hell in this. Yeah. No, he's great. Uh, well, so that I, again, that's the movie. So that's Beetlejuice right there, man. I don't. Uh, w- <sighs> if you had to, you know, again, we loved it as kids. Do you still love it now? I guess is the big question. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I'd say so. You know, I, I think there's there's a lot of nostalgia in that, but again, I you know, I think it, it's it's a very um, solid 
90 minute film and it it covers a lot of ground in that time and i, I think it does so pretty deft deftly mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know very yeah like it, it just it, it doesn't really waste any time i mean no that, could... that's all meat on that bone there's not a lot of fat there yeah and you know they again they they could have given a little more explanation for kind of the rules governing Beetlejuice. That would, I think that would kind of be my only, I don't even want to say gripe because it is kind of like what we were saying before, which is that you don't want to explain too much mm -hmm. for the risk of just coming up with something terrible. Right. You know? Right. right. Yeah. I agree. So, so yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I think it's a great, it's a great picture. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I think this movie has uh, uh, infinite replayability. Um, I don't, for me, I don't think there is much of a, a nostalgia factor in, in my enjoyment of this movie because, like I said, I again, it's not, it's not a, a deep or complicated film by any means, but there's enough facets to it that I, I've been able to find new perspectives to watch it from as, I, as I've aged. And, and I think that is the carry-through with this movie. You know, it's like... You know, I love a lot of movies. I love. I, I still kind of watch them through the filter of of, of, of a child in a lot of senses. Uh, but Beetlejuice, I think, yeah. to me, kind of does work on other levels. And I mean, I remember. Mm -hmm. I, I the reason why I say that too is because I remember. Uh, this is like one of the few movies we could watch with our dad at the time, and our dad was not known for like liking a a, a breadth of crazy comedies. <laughs> but nah, he, he just wanted to watch Top Gun. Right, but he really liked Beetlejuice. He did, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was one of those things. Is like, our dad, like the most serious guy that we know, likes Beetlejuice. Okay. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he, I he was into I think Tim Burton's visual style because I th I think like a lot of people he was he was taken with uh, a lot of Tim Burton's earlier work, you know, because I, I remember him enjoying the original Batman. I remember him enjoying Edward Scissorhands. Um, I always just thought you liked Michael Keaton. I thought you thought Michael Keaton was funny. <laughs> okay. No, but I mean, I mean, you're right. I, I, but I, I remember him liking Beetlejuice before those movies came out, before Batman, before Edward well, Scissorhands. Yeah, no, you're right. But but I I think I don't know. I I, I think he was interested in in Tim Burton as a filmmaker as well. I, I think so too. But I think I think this was the movie that started that. Yeah. No. Absolutely. Okay. I, it was for everyone. Yeah. 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 Yeah, for sure. And again, to to see the the, the kind of uh, it's, it's weird to refer to Beetlejuice as like a legacy movie in, in in a sense, but like the seeds in Beetlejuice are 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 planted for you know Nightmare Before Christmas and and Batman and even a little bit of Edward Scissorhands because of you know Winona Ryder's character and the way that she yeah. her emotional connection to to these these uh, characters and it, it's so much so much good stuff. Like Tim, it, it is funny to well not funny necessarily but it's interesting to look back at tim burton's early chunk of his career you know like that riding off the wave of of beetlejuice and batman and and going into edward scissorhands i mean for a while there like tim burton movies were like like a big deal when the, when they were coming out it's like oh man there's a new tim burton it's gonna be uniquely uh visually exciting you know yeah those days are long behind us they sure are <laughs> <laughs> I mean, this is a little bit off topic, but like, what do you think the the uh, where's the line of demarcation for Tim Burton movies? When do you think when do you think he went too far? 
Planet of the Apes. <laughs> that was going to be my answer too. <laughs> Look, I, I'll say th- I'll say this: it was a valiant effort, and Tim Roth in that film is amazing. But everything about everything else about it is terrible. Yeah, you're not wrong on that. So, so I mean. Like like it's a like I said, I I think it was a valiant effort. I just think he kind of failed at what he was trying to accomplish. Um, And but then everything after that, I I think it's just been all downhill from him. It's it's definitely wasn't uneven because you know he had Beetlejuice, he had Batman, he had Ever Scissor Hands, and then it was Batman Returns, which you know mixed reaction to Batman Returns. Though though I recently watched Batman Returns and it's it's far campier than I think it gets credit for. You know, people, you know, people want to I, get, people want to blame Schumacher for bringing the camp back to Batman, but Burton really starts that ball rolling with Batman Returns and the fucking penguins marching through the city. Yeah, I, I you know, I would even go so far as to say, it, it, I, I think all of those films have a certain amount of camp, but you know, Schumacher definitely just like kind of heightened it. Yeah, um, and I was never, I was never that too big of a critic of, of Batman Returns. My my biggest complaint about Batman Returns is I just think it's kind of a boring movie. It's kind of boring, and then Batman also throws a grenade down a clown's pants, so that's weird. Well, look, that was the Batman we were dealing with, so, <laughs> you know. But, I mean, so so Burton goes from Batman Returns. He does Ed Wood, which I garnered him massive praise from, yeah. from critics. Mars, yeah. Mars Attacks is uneven at best. Yeah, but I still love it. <laughs> I need to revisit it. It's been a long time since I've seen it. Me too, but I I have fond memories, I should say. And, you know, and then uh, what he did next was another one of the, uh, another one of my favorites. Personally, I, I I don't know how you feel about it, but I really, 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 really enjoy Sleepy Hollow. Um, that was, you know, I should give it another watch. Like I remember enjoying it in theaters, but then on subsequent viewings, it was just kind of like. Yeah, this is fine, but I don't really need to ever see this again. I think so. it's a, I think it's a fun exploration of the the headless horseman story and Ichabod Crane and all that stuff. But then, yeah, two thousand one. That's when you get to Planet of the Apes, and uh, it's been yeah. a bumpy road for for Tim Burton ever since. I I liked Big Fish, but I don't know if I'm in the majority on that or not. And then Charlie and the Chocolate Factory is is a creep show. Yes, <laughs> Corpse Bride's fine, but again, it's, it's stop motion stuff, and I, I always kind of like well, that. Well, did he direct that? Yes. Okay. He did. Right. That's that one. He did direct. Unlike Nightmare, Nightmare Before Nightmare Before Christmas, which he did not direct, but everyone thinks he did. Everyone thinks he did. Yeah. Um, and I, I never saw Corpse Bride, so I can't say anything about it. Yeah. He also, then it was Sweeney Todd, which I didn't like very much. Alice Real in Wonderland, bad. I didn't like very much. Dark Shadows, I did not like at all. <laughs> no. Uh, Frank and Weenie's fine, but again, we're going back to stop motion stuff. Yeah, you're going back to stop motion stuff, and it, it, Tim Burton's also just going back to the short film that that made him right a name. And then I so. haven't seen I haven't seen Big Eyes, uh, Mrs. Pe- Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children, or Dumbo. So, um, Big Eyes is terrible. I didn't know he did Miss Peregrine, um, and I just refuse to watch any of these Disney live action versions of their animated classics. I'll, yeah, I'll be honest with you. The only reason why I'm curious to watch Dumbo is because Michael Keaton's in it. 
Not enough for me. That's that's hey, that's a fair point. I got I got nothing. I got no no. Uh, I'm not gonna blast you for that one because like, that's a completely valid reason not to watch it. <laughs> I will if I want to see Michael. Ke- if I want to see modern Michael Keaton, there's plenty of other stuff I can watch him in. Oof, so good in Spider Man. Very good in Spider Man. Yeah. Yeah, he almost steals that fucking movie. That, that's how good he was in it. I was. Almost I think re- he does. I'm almost rooting for him. <laughs> yeah. Like yeah, he got he got the shaft, man. <laughs> the spider shaft. And then this stupid kid comes along and tries to foil his plans. Fuck Peter Parker. <laughs> oh my god. That'll be a separate episode of the podcast, the fuck Peter <laughs> Parker episode, where Mark talks about how much he hates Spider Man for twenty, thirty hours. <laughs> all the Spider Men, Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, Tom Holland, all of them. Mark hates them all. <laughs> I, I I liked Tobey Maguire Spider Man until part three. <laughs> you know, like emo Spider. What's that? You know, like the emo Spider Man. I th- look. I think of all the things that people criticize about that movie. I think that's the last thing you should criticize about that movie because <laughs> that at least made me laugh. <laughs> all right. Well, listen. I got nothing else to say about Beetlejuice. Again, this is a movie that I watch uh, regularly. A couple times a year uh, seems reasonable. Maybe a couple times a year in October specifically. Uh, but I, I enjoy Beetlejuice. I think it holds up. I think it's a really good time. Uh, I think people younger than us can watch Beetlejuice and really, really enjoy it. 100%. And I want to give a special shout-out to my friend uh, Tara, who a couple years ago for Halloween went as Beetlejuice. She did the costume herself, made the pinstripes, you know, the black-and-white striped suit, gave herself like the, the Beetlejuice beer gut, did the rotted teeth and the and the and the, the the kind of pussy stuff around his mouth? One of the most incredible Beetlejuice costumes I've seen. Such no. a good job. Did did she give herself a real beer gut? No, no, no. I mean, it was like stuffing. Oh, okay, but like it looked legit. <laughs> I was just wondering if she was like really dedicated. No, she's not doing like the uh, the, the fucking. <laughs> uh, uh, uh... Oh God, who am I thinking? <laughs> She's she's not going full method actor on us, okay? Okay. All right. Just hey, just curious. Yeah, she's not going Christian Bale on us, okay? She's not the okay. machinist. All right. <laughs> or Cheney, because he got he got a nice pot belly for that. Mark, thank you so much for joining me on this really fun look back at Beetlejuice for the month of October. We're you know we're doing we're doing uh, good movies to watch during Halloween, and you know we're not maybe exploring the most obvious ones because we haven't really dived into like the horror genre this month um but i'm glad we're, we're talking about fun movies to watch for halloween spooky spectacular movies how do you feel about it um no great thank you for having me thank you for giving me a reason to watch beetlejuice again um not that i would have been opposed to just watching it on my own but <laughs> But for whatever reason, I, I guess maybe just because so many years have passed since I, la- I last saw it, that I it just doesn't. It's not the first thing to to come to mind. Understood. So I know. I so get that. It, it was it was just nice to revisit it. Very good, very good. And, and again, I I hope people maybe 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 people out there in the audience haven't uh, had a chance to revisit the movie in a while. I think you should do so. If you're new to Beetlejuice, I think now's a great time to check it out. Watch it before Halloween. Watch it on Halloween. Again, it's family friendly. Uh, but it, you know, it's got a little bit of that Halloween vibe to it. A little spooky, a little creepy. Yeah. Anyways, Mark, you and I have plans, 
uh, for some more Halloween fun before the month is over. So you're going to be back very, very soon. And uh, we're going to wrap it up here, okay? Okay. All right. We'll, we'll be back with you later. Thanks again for coming on today. Thank you for having me. Hey, welcome back. That's the conversation. Thank you so much for listening to that. Thank you so much for my brother, Mark, joining us for this special Beetlejuice podcast, popcast, Tomcast podcast about Beetlejuice. Hey, we're doing Halloween stuff. It's it's one of my favorite times of year. Uh, it's, it's the one thing I sort of miss about, well, listen, I, I grew up basically on the, on the East Coast for the majority of my life. There's a lot of things I miss about it, but I particularly miss the fall, autumn, the changing of the leaves, the cooling of the weather, the crispness in the air. And I love Halloween on the East Coast. It was always a blast, always a lot of fun. And uh, the weather always made it a little bit, little bit more exciting. Uh, but that doesn't mean Halloween in San Diego is lame and over with. No, not at all. So I hope you are enjoying this kind of uh, 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 drive down memory lane, as it were, for for the the creepy and the crawly, and the spooky and the oh, I lost the rhyme. Well, you know what I'm you know what I'm getting at. You know these are so, we're sort of this year we sort of focused. I know last year we did the big our top ten. Roger and I did our top ten uh, Halloween movies, and a lot of it were were very horror centric. You know the slasher films, the blood and the guts. So far this year we're exploring a lot of. Uh, more lighthearted fare, a lot of more family-friendly fun for, for the holiday season. And I love that. That's one of the things about holidays, about this holiday in particular, that's so versatile. Yeah, you can go with the big, scary slasher film with uh, the hockey mask villains and, and, and people from Nightmares on Elm Streets and all that all that good stuff. And those are great, and it's so much fun. But, uh, but Halloween is kind of all-encompassing, and there's a lot of stuff, uh, again, family-friendly, geared towards a slightly younger audience, PG, PG-13 rated, that's still a lot of fun, and it kind of explores all those fun themes that, that Halloween brings out of all of us. And I think Beetlejuice hits so many of those notes. I love it, love it, love it. We got a lot more planned for Halloween here on the TomCast podcast this year. Uh, we're about to go into uh, 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 Maximum Overdrive. Okay, we're not going to talk about that movie, because God, oof, oof. Action Action just did that one though. They'll, you can check them out. They they talked about maximum overdrive, but we're gonna we're gonna be going into hyperdrive for a lot more uh, popcast Tomcast popcast scares for the month of October. Get ready, it's gonna be a lot of fun. Big shows coming up ahead with Roger, Mark, and more special guests lined up. Hopefully, we can get them all on. <laughs> There's so much to do in so little time. Uh, can't wait to do all that stuff. Again, things to look forward to. I don't want to say what movies are coming up. I just want you to be surprised when you see them and be excited when you see that that's in your feed. You're like, oh man, they're talking about that this week. I'm in. Let's do it. Download, subscribe, share, like, tell your friends about what we're doing here on the TomCast podcast, particularly for Halloween because we're crushing it with great movies. If you want to join Pophead Nation, you can do so at patreon.com forward slash TomCast podcast where you can hang out with such Amazing people as the Aspen Hill Chody, the Batman of Bay Park, Mr. Jeff Nail, 
co-host of The Ringing Air, a music podcast for all you music aficionados. Thank you to the evil circle, the evilest of all the circles, Brian Broussard, the Squidmaster General, and Mark Wegemer, our guest today, a.k.a. the New Jersey Devil. Thank you all so much for being Patreons. I hope you're enjoying the sweet bonus content. A lot of stuff should be coming your way as Patreons next week. Uh, this week, I was caught with my pants down. I, I was, I'm in between a lot of projects. But next week, ooh, it's going to be a bonanza. A, pi- a Patreon podcasting bonanza heading your way, members of Pophead Nation. And if you're not, if you don't want to join Pophead Nation, that's okay. Make, again, make sure you are liking, subscribing, sharing the show. Five-star reviews are incredibly helpful. And if you have the time, also make sure you're following us on social media at TomCastPopCast on Instagram and Twitter. It would mean the world to me. Again, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for taking the time to support this independent podcast. We're based here in San Diego, California. We got a lot of good things going on. I mean, nothing's open, but I got podcasts. I can make podcasts for everybody. So sit back, enjoy a podcast, pop open a beer, maybe a, a hard seltzer, hard kombucha, whatever you're in the mood for. And, and, and tune in to the TomCast podcast. We got a lot of shows coming your way throughout Halloween. Through, I think I said that wrong. Throughout Halloween. All right. I will be back extremely soon with Roger, with Mark, maybe a surprise guest. Nobody knows. Ooh, spooky. I will knock it off right now. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back soon. And as we say on the TomCast podcast, Ciao, babes. It's cute, Delia. Daylight come and me wango. Also, are you doing We're this? We're not gonna be fucking sunk this year! <laughs> With a Stanley 